Welcome to Inside the Writer's Cafe, brought to you on webtalkradio.net. I'm Cheryl Nason. This is a show about books and the fascinating people who write them. Each week, it's our pleasure to feature conversations with top authors of fiction and nonfiction about their latest work. Criminal mischief, murder, and ghosts all have their place in the books featured on this week's show. The latest in the Domestic Equalizer series, Our Red Hot Romance is Leaving Me Blue, published by Avon and written by the dynamic sister writing duo of Jeffrey McClanahan and Pam Cumby, who call themselves Dixie Cash, deals with a ghost, a beautiful psychic, and a plot to rob a grief-stricken husband of his land. Justice in June is the latest Mary Magruder Cats mystery, written by Barbara Levinson and published by Ocean View Publishing. Mary finds herself in the middle of an international incident, the investigation of a judge, and someone makes an attempt on her life. Dixie Cash has what might be called a split personality. Dixie is actually the dynamic duo of writing sisters Pam Cumby and Jeffrey McClanahan. They grew up in West Texas, and they say they were surrounded by real-life fictional characters. But these two sisters bring their unique Texas perspective and a great sense of humor to the latest in the Domestic Equalizer series, Our Red Hot Romance is Leaving Me Blue. Jeff and Pam, welcome to Inside the Writer's Cafe. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those kind words. Oh, I love you guys. Well, being a Texan myself, of course, I get it. <laughs> you know, I, and I think it's just such, I love this Domestic Equalizer series. I love the characters. This book is slightly different. So let's, which one of you wants to tell the listeners a little, kind of a thumbnail sketch of the plot, and then let's talk about some specifics, but not too much. Because I don't want to ruin no, this. No, don't give anything away. No. Uh, this, this is Pam. I'll, I'll tell a little bit about the book. Um, Debbie Sue and, and Edwina, you know, of course, have the detective agency, and they're hired by a young man who thinks someone is either playing a hoax on him or his house is haunted. So he hires them to set up surveillance, and then they, in turn, hire a psychic from El Paso to come help with the, the ghost aspects of it. And... Um, Gosh, I almost gave too much away. Don't tell too much. But then, then the story, <laughs> the story uh, moves on to the whole story is: uh, is the house haunted? Is there someone really there? Uh, will his life move on? Will he find someone else? And and just what's going on in uh, in this young man's home? Now, I, one of the things I love about this is that it's so visual. Debbie yeah. Sue and Edwina are. They have their own beauty salon, so they're really hairstylists. And I love the fact that it's the styling station, and it, it's in a converted gas station. You know, when I, when I was thinking about this, I thought, there's a picture book in itself, especially in the state of Texas. I don't know if anywhere else does this quite like we do, but every gas station that goes out of business becomes something else. Wouldn't it be interesting right. to see a picture book of all the things that used to be gas stations have become? Yeah, and you know, and I, yeah. I know what you're talking about because driving through Texas, they're so easy to spot. Yeah, I mean, you 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 look at it and know that that's exactly what it is. There's no way of, and Debbie Sue and Edwina's is really easy to see because the 
the pumps are still out in front. They couldn't afford to have those taken down. So, you know, that that's one of the reasons they dress them up in women's fashionable clothes. So people will know it's not a service station. I just think that is hilarious. And for me, that makes it, that gives it this smack of small town reality. Because that's what happens. You're absolutely right. If you drive through any small town anywhere in Texas, you'll see at least one gas station in some town that went out of business and it's now something else. I like mm-hmm. that. And they sort of became detectives. They accidentally fell into this. This is not something that they really wanted to be or wanted to do. How okay. that well, in the first book in the series, uh, going all the way back to Since You're Leaving Anyway, Take Out the Trash, uh, Debbie Sue started out being the owner, the sole owner of the gas station because she got the gas station from Buddy in a divorce settlement. And she didn't know what to do with it. And she also didn't know what to do with her life. So she went to beauty school and became a hairdresser. And she hired Edwina because Edwina was older and had 20 years of experience as a hairdresser, and she thought, you know, she would bring Edwina's clientele into her business. And uh, so the only asset she had to her name was the gas station that she had inherited from Buddy or had had received from Buddy in the divorce settlement. So that's how the gas station beauty salon came to exist and how the partnership between Debbie Sue and Edwina came to exist. And so then one of Debbie Sue's good customers who happened, who we portrayed as one of the richest women in Texas, uh, turned up murdered. And, um, of course, it affected uh, Debbie Sue and Edwina, and and uh, they wanted to know who did it, you know. And so they accidentally found, well, it wasn't a total accident. They, Debbie Sue worked at finding the um, murderer of Pearl Ann Carruthers. And so then she got the idea. She's an ambitious person, and uh, she got the idea that she would they would become private detectives. Diversify. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I love that. I figured that there might be some of our listeners who needed to hear a little bit of the history of their partnership and how they got into the detective business. This is a very different book because of the ghost aspect in this. Mm-hmm. And I'm fascinated. Of course you know I've read it cover to cover. You guys get into this the psychic stuff a little bit, and you get into the haunted ghost stuff a little bit. Where in the world did that come from? I don't know, probably me, because, you know, I, I'm... I'm I'm a true believer in all that. Are you really? I, I would love. Yeah, I, I really am. I would love to think that it, it that it's true. You know, I, I think uh, psychics and uh, the paranormal. I, I mean, I'm just fascinated by all of that. And I have read enough uh, and seen enough on things on TV that are factual that make you go, hmm, maybe there is something to all this. But uh, I've always loved the idea of ghosts and hauntings and and ooh, things in the night. So uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was also, it's a writing a ghost book right would be now. fun. Huh? Uh, it's a hot ticket right now. Uh, oh, yeah. Is, is uh, the most popular thing on the market in terms of reading and also, I guess, in terms of entertainment, period. When's the vampire book coming out? Really? <laughs> <laughs> 
I think maybe we did that in lieu of a vampire book. Everybody seems to be writing a vampire book, you know. I like this. You book. can't you can't pick up anything that there's not a vampire in it. No, I like I like this idea better. And I like the idea of the the psychic. Now, you did just a little spin on the psychic. There is a psychic that that you have that that they call Grand Bella, and it was Isabella Paredes. Am I saying that right? Paredes. Paredes. Paredes, uh uh-huh. And we meet her granddaughter, Sophia. Right. And Grand Bella has gone on to the psychic heaven in the sky, but Sophia has inherited her abilities, but she hasn't really tested all this out. And she kind of lies a little bit to Debbie, Sue, and Edwina when they call because they're looking right. for her grandmother. Right, right. And her grandmother is with her, but not in body. She's there in spirit, which I thought was a perfect touch because I think that that's exactly the way I think it would be. I have no psychic ability at all. But that I'm like you. I think that if if there is a psychic, that's the way that I think that it would work especially being raised by her grandmother and being so close to her grandmother. I like that touch. You guys have done some some research, I think, into Texas and the ghost stories and how all that works. You also have Edwina and Debbie Sue a little bit on opposite sides of this. Edwina's scared to death of this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I think Edwina kind of mirrors the way I am. She she, she believes it, but she's afraid to believe it. And, yeah. But yeah, she she had a uh, an encounter with uh, this psychic telling her something that really hit close to home, and it just scared the bejesus out of her. So she's afraid of hearing anything else. You know, she doesn't want to hear any bad news. She's the the total optimist, so she doesn't want to hear anything bad and. She's pulled into it, and at the same time, she wants to turn and run from it. So uh, it, it was fun working with Edwina in that book, her reactions, uh, especially the the letters on the refrigerator, and I won't give that away. See, I loved it because you yeah. do mix things up, and and we're not sure for a while if this is really happening. We're not sure who it is. Right. We think it's one person, but, but we're not sure, and... And then we've got the slimy brother-in-law, John Patrick, who I thought was a perfect character to throw into this because he's not <laughs> a very nice guy. We do not like him the moment we meet him. Hopefully, We know we, we took a little bit of a twist with most of the anti-heroes are, are beautiful. You know, they're, they're, they're just faulty. They're beautiful, and, and the women are drawn to them, but they're just not good men. And this guy is none of that. He's just bad. Everything about him is repulsive. <laughs> and he's got money because he married it. And that's yes, the only yes. reason. Yes, he's determined to keep that money. But um, yeah, that was that's another thing. This this whole book was very different um, in the approach of how the characters were were built and what most readers would expect. And there are a lot of hooks in it. You know, you got to have that hook to keep them turning the pages. Oh yeah. So uh, hopefully that that there it's a page turner because <laughs> it's not what i expected i mean Good. you guys you you know you, you usually do something that involves uh there's always a love story but we've got love stories on several different levels going on here and we've got things happening that to this this really nice guy justin sadler is a really mm-hmm. nice guy 
and he mm-hmm. lost a wife that he really, really loved in a in a very difficult way. And you just he's such a good character because he's a good guy. He displays some impatience and he displays some not good guyness, but hey, look at what he's going through. Right. And I, I really like that. This, I think this is a page-turner. I think this is one of the best books I've read that you guys have written. I really enjoyed this one. Really? Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, because you, did, because you did something different. Mm-hmm. And you made it, and I love that in the back you actually have some old ghost stories that are real. Have mm-hmm. you ever been to any of these places that you guys talk about in the back of the book? Like that glowing tombstone thing just scares the <laughs> devil out of me. Uh, the, the woman who wrote those stories about the the real life ghost stories, mm-hmm. she's in a uh, uh, she and I were in a writing group for years together, and uh, she has written several books about Texas ghost stories. She's written about haunted beds and breakfast uh, businesses in Texas, and two or three other. She, I forgot how many books she's got out about. Uh, uh, ghosts in Texas, but several, you know. We're and a haunted state, is what you're saying. She has been to all those places, yeah. Did she see she that tombstone? To... Yeah. I mean, she yeah. writes that in the first person. Yeah, she, well, she writes all of her ghost stories about in the first person because she goes and investigates the, these stories. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, I've well, and you know I'm, a, I'm a huge film lover, and I love... I love movies or books too, but I really love movies that you go, "Whoa, I didn't see that coming." Yeah, I love those kind of movies, like Sixth Sense. You know, that just knocked me out yes. of my seat when I first saw that movie. So I, I, I'm glad to hear you say that that this book kind of caught you off because you didn't know what was coming. That that was the whole purpose was to yeah. make it make it a page turner. And that's why I'm being real careful about. What Not we're to give it away. About. I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm being real careful about what we're talking about and how circumspect we're being about this because I don't want to ruin this for the readers. This is one of those books. Somebody told me that they were on a television show and that they had um, they were being interviewed for a mystery book that they'd written, and they said that within the first five minutes, the interviewer, the person interviewing them gave away who did it and gave away the whole plot. And and the author said to me, yeah, I know, the author said to me, you know, I sat there and thought, what are we going to talk about for 25 more minutes? And you just, as an interviewer, you don't want to do that. What you want to do You have to be careful. Yeah, you do, especially when I don't want to make these points too clear because I want you to read the book so that you find out about all these things because this involves seances, it involves mediums, it involves ghosts, it involves love stories on a couple of different levels. I mean, this is one of your more complex plots because of that supernatural factor. And I really thought that worked well and I thought you guys did a great job with it because I know you can write this. Jeffrey and I have a a middle sister in Florida and uh, she called me one day and she said, okay, I don't have time to read this book. Who did it? <laughs> she didn't. <laughs> yeah, she, oh, she did. Oh, I said, no. I'm not going to tell you. She said, I can't figure it out. I don't have time to read it. Who did it? 
shut the I door mean, and read the book. If it's bothering you that much, then read it. <laughs> shut the door and read the book. Well, if somebody in our listening audience wants to know more about Dixie Cash in general and how many, this is what, six? This is number six of the domestic this is equalizers? Six. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. If they want to know more about the first five, is there a website that we can send them to? Well, they can go to to our website, which is uh, DixieCashAuthor.com. That's pretty easy. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we couldn't get Dixie We Cash. wanted just DixieCash.com, but it was a male bondsman in Memphis, I think. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. <laughs> is that perfect? That is perfect. Absolutely <laughs> perfect. Maybe you could give Dixie Cash a middle name. You could do Dixie M. Cash. And maybe you or something, yeah. <laughs> well, I love this book. I can't wait for the next one. You guys are always so much fun to talk to. Thank you so much for taking time to be our guest today on Inside the Writer's Cafe. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Cheryl, and thank, thank you for you, the nice Cheryl. comments. You're listening to Inside the Writer's Cafe, brought to you on webtalkradio.net. A cum laude graduate of the University of Miami Law School, author Barbara Levinson has served as a prosecutor, and run her own law practice focusing on criminal defense and civil rights litigation. Barbara was elected to a judgeship in the Circuit Court of Miami-Dade County, where she still serves as a senior judge. She's with us today to talk about the latest in the Mary Magruder Cats series, Justice in June. Barbara, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, Well, thank you for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to be here. Well, you're always so interesting, and Mary Magruder Katz continues to get in over her head. Let's talk about and let's give our listeners a little bit of an overview of her latest adventures. Well, uh, this time Mary has uh, come into her own pretty much in her law practice. She's made her reputation during the murder trial in fatal February, and so Now she's being sought by various clients, but she also is constantly being called by family members to do things or boyfriend family members. And one of the main cases that uh, occurs in Justice in June involves Carlos, the hot Latin lover who has a thousand cousins. Um, turns out this isn't really a cousin, but he calls everybody his cousin. Louis Corona, who's a young man coming in from Argentina to open a boutique for his parents' chain of boutiques, and uh, through a bunch of misunderstandings, is arrested as a terrorist. And, of course, Carlos asks Mary to go to the jail and see him immediately. She has no idea that he's been being charged as a terrorist. And by the time she finds out, the Secret Service is there hauling him away and talking into their little microphones in their lapels. And um, most, a lot of the book is caught up in Mary at least trying to find Lewis, who has been hidden away. They don't know if he's still in the country or out of the country. And uh, he's no more a terrorist than uh, my German shepherd. (laughs) And so that's one of the cases. The second case involves a judge, a woman judge, who Mary has met 
in court and who calls her because she is being investigated for allegedly fixing drug cases in her court. And as if that wasn't enough, Carlos is sued because he has not finished his latest condominium on time and a group of uh, irritated buyers have joined together to try to sue him because he hasn't met the deadlines. And of course, Mary has to get on top of that as well. So all of that is going on. And at the same time, Carlos and Mary's relationship is growing and their families meet at a what I think is an hilarious <laughs> dinner party. Me too. That was my absolute favorite scene in the book. I sat there writing it and laughing, and my husband thought I was a little off. I mean, who sits at the computer writing and laughing at their own jokes? But um, I, I think that that whole scene is so indicative of the differences in families, but how they can overcome those. And I think it shows, again, that for both Mary and Carlos, as much as they wouldn't admit it, their families are very important to them. You know, so that's one, kind of an overview of the book. And the all book, three cases are all the balls stay in the air all the time. And, and that's one of the things I really like about the way you write. Often, when you read a novel like this, that's about a particular case, for example, the one with um, Louis Corona, it seems that everything else that happens in that attorney's life is suspended, and they're only focused on that one case, and nothing else is going on in their life. I think that because you have Mary juggling these cases, the very important case with the local judge, Liz Maxwell, yeah, Carlos originally calls Mary and says, oh, by the way, my cousin got arrested. I don't think it's a problem. Just go down there and get him out of jail. And all of a sudden she's in the news and they're accusing her of defending a terrorist. And the next thing you know, here she comes and her mother has said, and by the way, we're having dinner with Carlos's parents. And she goes, what? And then, <laughs> I mean, I love well, you know, having having been in the situation <clears throat> where I've had to juggle work and family life, uh, I think it's important for people to know that lawyers' lives do go on. They don't devote 100% only to their profession, just like doctors don't or, or plumbers or anybody else. Uh, and that life does go on, and you have to be able to balance these things. And I really think for all the young women lawyers that I met sitting as a judge who were trying to juggle their lives, their children's lives, their husband's lives, their boyfriend's lives, and wondering if they could do it all, that maybe this is a, a way for them in a fun way to see that everyone suffers this and they're not alone. I think so. I, I really think this is so much fun. Where did the idea for the Lewis Corona case come from? Because it's very cloak and dagger. Well, um, you know Miami is a hotbed of all kinds of things. If there's anything going on any place, it's probably going to happen in Miami if it hasn't already happened in Los Angeles. Those seem to be the two places. And so um, not in the too distant past, there was a case in Miami where there were six young men who were arrested and charged as terrorists um, they had been caught up in a sting 
with, I believe it was the FBI or the CIA, I don't remember exactly, um, who, where they were told that they could put together this plot and they could the, these undercover officers could get them the money to do this plot. And so they were trying to pretend that they were big shots. And they were kids, really. They were, I think, 19 and 20 and 21. And they went along with this because they felt very flattered that some older people with all this money would want to fund them to have some plot. I don't think for a minute they really wanted to do anything, but they were drawing maps and doing all of these things to show that this plot would go forward and they could blow things up. And eventually they got arrested. Well, they all said the same thing. We just wanted to get the money and get the hell out of there. (laughs) They had no intention of doing anything else. And I really think that was true. So they were tried in court two times with hung juries. Wow. And they were tried a third time. Um, I had nothing to do with any of this, by the way. It wasn't in front of me. It was in federal court. Uh, But I was reading it with interest and thinking about how many times there are these tremendous misunderstandings where people are targeted as terrorists and they aren't doing really anything except normal, everyday things, but added together, they look bad. And I think our, our whole psyche was so aggravated and upset after 9-11 that everything looked like a terrorist plot for a while. So those were the things that kind of gave me the idea that maybe it would be good if readers could see that not everything is as it looks on the surface, that you have to look at all sides of everything and then make up your mind yourself. And I think that's a theme that runs through the story because we get into Judge Liz Maxwell, who has been a great judge, and all of a sudden she's under investigation by the state's attorney, and they're saying that she's looking at drug dealers and she's being easy on them and she's let all these drug dealers go, and and she gets very upset and Mary starts investigating, and there's a plot to try to convict her when she's really not doing anything. So in this novel, I think often... Very often, things are not what they seem. And that's exactly the point I wanted to make because so many times I'll be out at a party or a luncheon or whatever, and people are saying, have you read about the so-and-so case in the paper? And I've said, yeah, I've seen a little bit about it. I'm not involved in it. And they have made up their minds, well, these people are guilty and they should burn and you know this kind of attitude. And I always say, you know, You've got to wait and see what the facts really are. You're not in court. You're reading little sound or hearing little sound bites on TV. But it takes a while for things to gel and for you to be able to look at all sides before you make up your mind. And I think people who serve on juries learn that. And it's one of the more valuable things that a citizen can do to learn that everything isn't what it looks like on the surface and you have to really listen to all the facts before you make up your mind. And trying to sift through it. I think sometimes that's the hardest thing because, you know, let's face it, Barbara, in our society we do hear 
what they say on television. We do read what they say in the news media, whether it's online or whether it's we need to have that morning paper. But those things that we read, those sound bites that we hear, the tone of voice that someone uses when they're reading a particular uh, piece of news about someone, we take that in, we process it, and we tend to think because they said it on television or in the news media, it has to be true. And I think even worse now with all of the Internet uh, websites that you can go to and all of the YouTube and and, uh, Facebook, uh, we get a skewed picture of many things. And there was no better way to see that than Mrs. Sherrod, who was fired from her job um, with the Agriculture Department. Uh, just recently, that was such an indication of the fact that you cannot take everything on the Internet or on YouTube at face value. It behooves you to look into something yourself before you say, I've made up my mind. And even our government at the highest level didn't do that. They jumped the gun and let this woman go from her job, which was very pathetic. Well, and you, you make a valid point. Underneath all of the storyline in this book hums family. Even in Carlos' lawsuit about his condominium, there's this hum of family underneath it. And I could not agree with you more. Talk about comic relief (laughs) and being able to identify with meet the parents, as it were. I just loved what you've done with the relationships. Mary and Carlos are just hot to trot for each other. I mean, it's, you know, love, lust, and heat. It's just all of those things. But then here's mom and dad, and here's the extended family, and all of a sudden they have to get out of bed sometime. (laughs) (laughs) You did comic relief. You did wonderful comic relief with the family. But it also rolls into the plot. I mean, Carlos has a hundred cousins. He's able to help Mary out a couple of times when she when her car won't start or she can't get to a place because she doesn't have a vehicle. I just love that. Where did the idea for Mary Magruder Katz come from? She's not you. I know she's not you. No, she's definitely not me. She's a, the epitome of lots of young women attorneys that I have met in Miami. Um especially because she has this mixed background, and there are so many people in Miami who have mixed backgrounds because we have a very large Hispanic community, and obviously as the generations go on, they intermarry. And you have all kinds of interesting families that have uh, been able to overcome differences and found that they're more alike than they are different. And so um, she really is the model of so many young women. Um, And that's kind of how how she grew full-blown out of my brain. (laughs) Well, Justice in June is a wonderful, not only a summer read, but if people need an escape, if they're on a long plane ride for business or a train ride if you happen to live in the Northeast and you have to take the train every day. This is a terrific book to be able to just jump into and escape and follow 
Mary Magruder Katz on her adventures. Now, she gets herself physically in trouble. Uh, this is one of those novels where she's physically in danger and she actually gets hit on the head and some things happen in her apartment and she's frightened. This is a really scary time for her because of the combination of these kinds of cases because let's face it, if you're, one of your clients is a sitting judge and they're being investigated by the state's attorney's office, and then on the other side, you've got not only Homeland Security and possibly the CIA and the FBI, but you have to mix in the ambassador from the United States to Argentina. And then we've got the consul from Argentina. I mean, it just gets so complicated. And she Well, did. you know, um, Miami really has more consul generals, I think, than a whole lot of cities just because of the fact that we're an international center. So there are lots of consuls, uh, consul generals who, and consulates in Miami. And uh, in fact, at one time, the con- consul general's home, um, from I believe it was, it was one of the South American countries. I have forgotten which one was in our neighborhood. Really? <laughs> so, wow! Actually, Pinecrest, that's mentioned in both of the books, is where we live. <laughs> so. Um, and and where I worked, where my law office was, was in Coral Gables, and where this is the area that we live in: Pinecrest, Coral Gables, and Coconut Grove are those areas that we're in every day when we're in Miami. So everything there is pretty realistic, including the starter castles that have been built where the old homes <laughs> have been torn down. <laughs> but, I love it. Um, so I think well, people who live there are just hysterical when they read this book. And um, one of my friends up here in Vermont, where we are in the summer, had visited us in Miami, and I guess that was the year before the first book came out. And when she got the book, she called me and she said, "I felt like you were talking in my ear." <laughs> Oh, I love it. <laughs> when you it. described everything, because she said, that's just how you described it as we were driving around your area. <laughs> oh, Barbara, how fun. And what a wonderful compliment for her to give you. Well, I've had amazing, especially after Justice in June, I've had an amazing bunch of emails on my website. Um, there's a link, of course, on the website to send me an email and I love getting these emails and I answer every one because they're just so valuable to me to know that people in all different parts of the country are reading these books and enjoying them and you know I guess you really have to have a lot of enjoyment to sit down and take the time to send an email so for anybody that's listening today um, I love to hear from you it's just a joy to know that You've been entertained, and enter- and I was entertained in writing these books, and if it's entertaining a reader, it's such a pleasure. Well, let's give that website address so people know where to go to find it's, it. It's just www.barbaralevinson.com, and that's my website, and you can see other things, reviews, and other things about the book and interviews. Uh, and actually, there's a link to the Dallas Diva and a link to my Facebook, and also a way to contact me through email. So once you get on that website, 
um, you have lots of possibilities to investigate me. <laughs> I love it. Well, Barbara, thank you so much for taking time to be our guest today on Inside the Writer's Cafe. It's just delightful to talk to you. Well, it's always a delight to be with you, Cheryl, and thank you so much for inviting me. And we'd like to thank you, our listeners, for being with us today. And remember, until you join us next time, pick up a good book and read.